0: In years in after. Welcome to
1: Vista Community Church. Whether you're joining us in person or online, we thank you for taking the time to worship with us today. Also, we are so excited our kids are joining us during the in-person services so they can worship with their family. As we re-church, we're leaning in, we're growing, and we're listening for God's direction to be the church he wants us to be. There's so many stories of God at work through Amy Proctor's Resource Ministry, collaborating with J. Jira Ministries, our new Worship Arts Center of Columbus, the Bloom Toy Drive that's happening all of November, and so much more. Go to our website, VistaCommunityChurch.org, to read all of these stories. We hope you're encouraged today as we enter into worship and God's Word together.
2: Good morning, welcome. Welcome back, family. Yes, let's just give him a praise just to start the day. Welcome, Jesus. We are welcoming you. We are welcoming each other. We're so excited. Will you stand as we go into worship? So we have some kids with us today. I'm so excited. Kids, let me see your hands. Show me some hands. Wave them up high. We're so excited that you're here. So we know that there's a million... We know that we can treat a thousands of them, and it still wouldn't be as good as one day with Jesus, as one moment with Jesus. So kids, I'm going to need your help today. Anytime you hear the word one, the number one, will you put your hand up like this? Give me a number one. Adults, let's help. Anytime you hear the word one, throw your hands up like this.
3: say, come once again to me, I will draw near to you, I will draw near.
0: Than anywhere else. And when we take time to spend time with Him in His presence, when we set our hearts on things above, when we set our minds on things above, it leads us to do one
3: thing, and that's to praise Him. We remember His goodness. We remember all the times that He has brought us through different challenges and trials.
0: And we say, God, be praised. So let's do that together. Let's praise Him and think about His goodness and His faithfulness.
3: You spoke those words, let there be light, and there was all. In that same breath, the stars fell in line. With one voice, creation cries, you do all
2: It's you. that you've met us here in this place. In Jesus' name.
0: Is that good? Okay, good morning. Nice to see you. Let me ask you a question. Have you uh, made any U-turns yet this morning? Any U-turns at all? Have you realized you were on, on some level on the wrong path, headed in the wrong direction, and you realized it and you, you turned around? It could be as simple as you were on your way to brush your teeth and you realized you were heading toward some place where there is no toothbrush. You know, it's like, oh, this is, <laughs> I got to make a U-turn, right? I want to talk to you this morning about how U-turns bring about really the deepest things that you need in this life. It seems counterintuitive, right, that U-turns bring about the very things that your soul needs the most. Let me ask you another question. Why are you here right now? Well, whether you walked in or you tuned in, why are you in this space? I suspect it's because you need something. You've, 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 You've been missing something. If you're if you're here physically, the anticipation is that there's something here that you haven't had, so you're here. The same if you're tuning in. You don't, you don't. You either you walk into church or you, you you tune into church because you assume there's something. No, hardly anybody's checking boxes anymore with regard to church. Nobody's just doing church because they think they should or they have to. Very few. People that are tuning into church and walking into church know there's something that they need that only the church, not the building, the people, right, can provide. Let me challenge you with this thought the church, the people of God, are connected wherever you are, however many you are. By definition, those that have decided to follow Jesus are the church, and those that have followed Jesus have been given the Spirit by Jesus, one Spirit in all. So whether you're here or at home or on the other side of the planet with your, by yourself with two people or ten people, You are connected spiritually, and places like this, physically, and that, technologically, are just the means by which we can personally reach one another, although we're already connected. God, and, and your connection, your, your, your churchness isn't inhibited by the lack of being together. It isn't inhibited by the, 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 the one-dimensional or two-dimensionalness of technology. Both of those spaces provide some unique way to connect, but you can do it all the time. And we should. We do have deep needs within our soul to be connected with one another. And the Bible tells us that the way we get that, acquire that sense of depth or that move or that substance in our soul is not by going and getting it but by giving it. Proverbs 11.25 says, the generous man prospers. Whenever the Bible talks about prospering or blessing, it's talking about the presence of God, most of the time. The generous man experiences God in his soul the way he is designed to experience it. The proverb goes on, he who refreshes others will in turn be refreshed. Don't allow your ability or your inability to be somewhere physically. Your ability, your inability to manage technology sufficiently, technological stuff sufficiently. Do whatever you can by whatever means you have to refresh others, to be generous, to give And the spirit of God that lives within the church will show up in that space and provide you and others what you need deeply in your soul. Don't sit around waiting for it. I don't know how long this is going to last. This physical space with the way things are going, we don't know. While we can do it, we'll do it. Pour it out. Let God pour into you. Welcome to worship in the round. Talk about U-turns. I'm going to be like, bing. I feel like one of those little bing. shoot. Welcome to worship in the round. And let me tell you how we got here. It's related to this interconnectivity that our soul requires. Many of you realize, literally eight months ago to the Sunday, March 8th was the last time we were in person in our normal form. March 8th, eight months ago. The very next week, we kept doing church from that stage. We kept worshiping and preaching from that stage, across this sort of front edge of the stage, out into this space, and nobody was here. Nobody was here. But we kept doing it. The assumption was you were on the other side of that camera, and you were receiving something, is good, but you know what we were receiving from you? Nothing. You were providing nothing in that space. And we realized worship and, and preaching and, and looking at the word together is a community thing. When, if you've ever had the privilege to be on that platform, there is something that happens between that platform and the People. There's something going on. So what happened to the worship team is they started turning toward one another, looking for somebody to interact with, someone to be encouraged by, someone to hear from, someone to connect with. So they ended up just in a circle looking at each other and worshiping that way. And you saw that start to transpire. And times the whole worship team would to get together in this room socially distanced, and do the same thing. Stand in this circle and commune with one another while we worship. And now here you are. This circle is a beautiful thing. You You can look across the room and see somebody and that one spirit that lives within us can communicate to you how they're doing, and you can pray for them. And if you're discouraged, you can, you can see their joy and remember that God is still at work. And there's someone other than me keeping you accountable for falling asleep. It's pretty hard to do in here. You've got to at least act like you're paying attention, or half the room's going to see it. I started thinking about all of the different circles, even just in Columbus. Believers' circles. The Bloom Free Store that I'm sure you've heard quite a bit about has reached a hundred families in a 15 mile radius already. And that circle, and that circle has become on many levels a community. And our community is privileged to overlap with that community. And you've met Reverend Brown, the Near East Side. And he's got a circle. And our circle's connected with that circle. And the Catalyst Circle. Over 200 churches in, in, in Columbus alone that uh, are associated strictly, almost exclusively by prayer. And we live in that circle. And all these circles are interconnected. Where is your circle? You've got a circle around your dinner table. You've got a circle in your life group or your small group. You've got a, you might have a circle at work. You, 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 what, and what circles are overlapped? And what are all those circles up to? What's going on in those circles? Is it centered around this circle? Should you just remember this circle all week long, this worship space? I would remember a different circle altogether if I were you. I would turn to the book of Revelation. Let me read to you this. This is Revelation 4. 22, sorry, 2 through 11. I'm paraphrasing it just to try to not have it too wordy. Before me was a throne in heaven. This is, this is the Apostle John. Put in a, really in a trance by God to envision the future. And he sees before him a throne in heaven, encircled by color, surrounded by other thrones, with spiritual leaders dressed in white and crowns of gold. From that throne came flashes of lighting and peals of thunder, and around the throne were living creatures. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and lives forever. So we know now this is Jesus on the throne, the one who lives forever. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Jesus, the leaders fall down and worship him. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. That's the circle that our circle is a part of. Now how often, how often are those around this circle of Jesus saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. You are worthy, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power, how often? What does it say? Day and night, this never stops. Whenever your circle gets together, whatever your believer circle is, you're joining with a circle that's been ongoing and is going to be ongoing forever. That is the primary circle to be engaged with. Don't ever leave it. Stay in that circle. And when you gather as believers, remember first that circle, and then think about all the other circles that we're connected with. I asked you if you had taken any U-turns. U-turns are a biblical concept. You won't find that little hyphenated phrase, U-turn. And the U-turns in the Bible are repentance. I could have asked you if you've repented yet today. Have you repented yet today? How does the word repentance strike you? I don't like it personally. If someone comes to you and says, You need to repent, what are you thinking? Oh my gosh, what have I done? I must have done something horrific and I don't even know it. Or who do they get off telling me to repent? What if I said to you, You need to repent? You need to repent today, probably three, four times already. Aren't you a little at least confused by that? What does that mean? I I understand why you would be anxious about it. The, The general, like a worldly understanding of the word repentance or the concept of repentance probably is best captured by a poet in the late 18th century named Byron. They called him Lord Byron. It's not a, there's not probably a lot of reasons you wouldn't be alive, want to be alive in the 18th century, but one of them would be essentially to have the moniker Lord. That would be cool. I wouldn't, I mean, Lord Mike. What if that was, what if that's what you, you know, doesn't work? I'd probably still just go by Mike. Lord Byron, in his uh, rather lengthy poem called The Corsair, which is about the, a pirate, says, the weak alone Repent. The weak alone repent. That's a a pretty good understanding of repentance from a worldly point of view. He captures it. The weak alone repent. Uh, How about another guy? How about Martin Luther in the 15th century, 16th century, 16th century? Luther started the the, the Protestant movement, the Reformation, and he did it by, by writing 95 theses, they're called, 95 points of interest, and he attached those 95 theses to the the door of the cathedral and said, we're we're out of bounds here. We're we're, we're doing church all wrong. We We need to consider all these things. Number one. Number one on the list. Listen to this. Repentance. It's about repentance. Listen, he says, when our Lord and maker Jesus Christ said, repent, which he did, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire life of the believer to be one of repentance. Lord Byron says, Only the weak repent. The weak alone repent. Luther says, The life of a believer should be a life of repentance. Which one is it? Is it a weakness to be avoided? Is it a strength to be practiced? Well, I'm asking you all this. We haven't even defined it. What is it? What's repentance? Well, its simplest metaphor is it's a U-turn. It is, it is becoming aware of the wrong path, becoming aware of heading in the wrong direction, a- admitting it, and then doing an about face to get back on the right track or off the wrong track. That's, that's a U-turn. Not unlike me, two or three stories up in a tree when I'm 10, shimmying out a branch to get the rocket that I had fired into the heavens that had floated back down to the ground ostensibly, but it got caught in a tree. They always get caught in a tree. Not once had a rocket ever taken its flight from the parachute to the ground where I could pick it up. So I'm in the tree, I'm shimmying out this branch, I'm a good two or three stories off the ground, and the branch starts to crack. Warning sign. Awareness. Admission, I'm in trouble here. Now the critical phase, at 10, very, very interested in getting my rocket, didn't take the third step of repentance. It kept going. Therefore, I went from that branch to the hospital, essentially. Repentance is a U-turn. It is an awareness. It's an awakening. It is an admission. And it is an about-face. It is a new action based on that awareness. Generally speaking, biblically speaking, we introduce the concept of sin. From a biblical point of view, a U turn or repentance is an awareness and an awakening to our sin, a confession of that sin. A turning away from that sin and to God and a new direction in alignment with Jesus. Repentance is an awareness of sin, a confession of sin, a turning away from that sin back to God and creating a new action. We see this all through the scriptures Old Testament and new alike. King David, a a man's man, a military leader, a a, a phenomenal national figure, all through his laments, all through his psalms, all through his prayers, you read of him repenting of his sin. John the Baptist, all the prophets of the Bible, every prophet You can't even be a prophet unless you know the word repent. The prophets are always telling the nation of Israel to turn around, repent. You're in the wrong direction. Stop. You're in trouble. Wake up. Confess. Turn around. John the Baptist, the last prophet before Jesus, his ministry was a ministry of repentance. He said, repent. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. Turn away from that to this. And then Jesus himself said, repent. Which is it? Is repentance a bad thing that only the weak do, rarely? Or is repentance a good thing? A godly thing, a scriptural thing, is repentance What Byron says or what Luther says? It helps to understand what sin is. Byron says Byron says it's a it's it's a weakness. It's a it's a disempowerment. It's a, it's a it's a sense of disempowerment when we when we repent. And it's rare. We can deal with rare first if we think about the biblical definition of repentance and sin itself. What is sin? Have you sinned yet this morning? Have you sinned yet this morning? Sin is any thought, any attitude, any compulsion any action out of alignment with God. We tend to think sin is what transpires outwardly. We tend to think we're doing good with God if we suppress all of the sinful things that drive us or want to drive us or that pop into our mind. If we can keep them from coming out, we've done the best we can possibly do. But sin is within us. It's in our fiber it's in our thoughts. Have you had any thoughts today? Any feelings that are unlike Jesus? And if we are to repent and confess of our sins and sin's to find that way, how often should we be repenting? Luther's right. But is it a sign of weakness? Is it? Let me ask you this. How much joy must you have to be able to confess your wrongfulness at the drop of a hat? How much emotional and spiritual strength Must you have to raise your hand as soon as you've done something wrong and say, I was wrong? How much love must you feel to quickly say, I made a mistake? Anybody I have ever married, any wedding I've ever performed, Having only ever married one person, all the weddings that I've performed, we cover always one particular point. And it comes from First John. John says, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Think about that. If you're in a perfectly loving relationship and you do something wrong, you wouldn't hesitate to apologize, to confess, to admit. Only in a relationship that doesn't have true love would you be afraid to confess because what's going to happen? You're going to be rejected. Perfect love casts out fear. How loved must you be? How loved must you be? How much joy must you possess? How much spiritual and emotional strength must you have to just freely apologize whenever you think, feel, do, or are compelled to say something or do something wrong? Repentance isn't a weakness, it shows incredible strength. You see what I'm saying? To repent at the drop of a hat, to admit that you're wrong quickly, to embarrass yourself, to humble yourself, how much strength much do you have? The ability to repent is a sign of deep and certain strength. We're chipping away at Byron's definition, the world's definition. It's not a rare thing, and it's not a weak thing. What about a disempowering thing? To take away your power? No. No. Repentance is a life of liberation. It's a life of freedom. A life of repentance says you don't have to live with any pretense anymore. No masks. No lies. No hiding. A life of repentance means you don't have to win every argument. You don't have to defend yourself all the time. You don't have to blame others. You don't have to live with the fear of being found out. You don't have to spin everything and try to control everybody's perceptions. Repentance is not a weakness. It's a strength. Repentance is not a disempowerment. It's a liberation. And it's not rare. It's frequent. It must be frequent. It must be, as Luther says, all the time. And you can feel it, right? You can feel it in your gut. You can feel it doesn't quite seem like that's going to work. If I spend my whole life repenting, I'm just going to feel like a worm. I'm not going to have any confidence. From where does our confidence come Comes from the grace and the mercy and the presence of God. That's true strength. Second Corinthians 7, this is Paul talking to a church in Corinth says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation without regret. To repent. To put yourself out there, to expose who you really are leads to salvation. And no regret. True repentance doesn't leave you wishing you didn't repent. True repentance brings something deep within your soul that you need and you know it and you love it and you would never be sorry for experiencing this salvation in the presence of God. The prodigal son is the perfect picture of all of this. You know the story. A young man goes to his father and says, I want half, I want, I want what's mine. I want what's going to be mine when you die. Which in that culture meant, I wish you were dead. It truly does. To, to have a son come to you and say, give me my your inher- your inheritance before you're dead means you're dead to me. It's an incredibly disheartening, crushing moment for the father. His own son wishes he was dead and could just have his stuff, but he gives it to him. you know what happens? He goes, and what we see in this story is not just a meltdown of a father and son relationship. It's the meltdown of a family. It's the meltdown of a faith and a nation. Because where does he end up? He ends up having squandered everything, Hanging out with pigs. Do you understand the Jewish faith? Pigs are not in the picture. It's not kosher. For him to be with the pigs means not only is his father dead to him, but his faith is dead to him, and his nation ostensibly, is dead to him. This is where he's ended up completely separated. The prodigal story is the story of the redemption of family and faith and nations. And what is at the core of it? What happens to him right there in the midst of those pigs? What does it say? He comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. What's the first step in repentance? Awareness. And come to his senses is a Semitic idiom that means repentance. He came. To repentance he became aware and he went and you see this play out we'll talk about it in the next few weeks he confesses what i want to share with you this week is what happens as a result of the repentance godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation without regret The best part of the whole story is the father. Where's the father? When the son returns, the father isn't sitting in his kitchen, which is where most of us would be, dejected. He's gone. It's over. No hope. We'd be sitting in the kitchen, and we'd hear a knock at the door, and we could see out the window that it's the son. And you'd think, well, this better be good. I'll hear how this explanation goes, and then we'll think about what we're going to do from there. Or how dare he come back here? I hope he brought a lot of money. No. We don't even just see him on the porch, although he was on the porch looking and waiting and wondering and hoping for the son to repent. And when he sees him coming, what does he do? He runs. He's an old man. I don't run much anymore. Not because I can't run, but because I know what it looks like when I run. <laughs> when I used to run, I would literally would have people say, Wow, you're, you run so smooth and so fast. When I run now, people say, you think you should be doing that? The father runs, and not only is it hard to run, Jewish patriarchs did not run. It wasn't dignified. You know why? You literally had to pick up your skirts to run. You had to pick up your skirts and show your legs and run. Not a dignified thing. He's running. And it says he falls on his son's neck. If the father in the prodigal son's story is God, and he is, what we see of repentance is something that ignites the love of God into your life. Repentance is a, is a doorway through which God rushes into your life and meets and fills those deep, deep spaces that need to be filled. He gives him a robe and a ring and some sandals. And the robe says, you're of great value. The ring says, you're a full member of the church. You can sign documents again. And the sandals say, I have a purpose for you. And this all comes from where? Repentance. God's built this world to give you signs the cracking branch, the mild heart attack, the deteriorating relationship. There are signs. There are spiritual signs, emotional signs, mental signs. The great blessing of God. The signs that bring awareness. But when the awareness comes, it's up to you. It's up to me. Confess. Turn back to God. And receive everything you ever needed. Don't miss any any opportunity why would you every moment every time you repent you you throw open the door for the love of god to come crashing in and fall on your neck repentance is the doorway through which the embrace and love and forgiveness and blessings and purposes of god rush into your life where do you need to turn Where are the warning signals? Where are the relational breakdowns, the health issues, the feedback from friends, the fears that you have with regard to politics or whatever else? Where are you wasting time pursuing things other than God? Where have you been stuck in a rut of unforgiveness? What are you gripping onto too too tightly? Where have you gotten sloppy in your personal life, your thought life? How many times are you going to try shopping to fill your soul? How many times are you going to try the internet to fill your soul? Where is God calling to you? Where are the warnings coming? Where? Do you know what they are? Are you paying attention? Are you listening all day? for the opportunities to repent, the thoughts, the attitudes, the actions. And how quickly are you doing it? It is directly related to the depth that you're feeling of the presence of God. I'm so excited for you. Wherever you are right now, you're in a position to be able to invite the presence of God into your life. You just have to have the courage to U-turn, to confess, to repent. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation without regret. The father says to the son, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but he was found. Are you feeling dead? Are you feeling lost? You want to be alive You want to be found? Listen, hear, become aware, admit, turn, Father. It is such a good picture for us to see how deeply you love us. So thankful for the pathway you've made through your son. This forgiveness, this access to you. God, by your spirit, help us to repent even of the spiritual distance we've allowed to be a part of our lives in the midst of the social distancing. God, teach us again. Build within us again. uh, Compel us to pour out love and encouragement like the Father for those that have repented. And God, teach us again to repent with one another. Speak. Lord, don't let us be in the dark. God, I pray for myself and all the church that we would live lives of repentance, continuous repentance to enjoy the continual presence of you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.